You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings, everyone. This is Jerry Landry from the Presidencies of the United States podcast. Katie and Nathan asked me to give everyone a heads up that they do use strong language in the show. And if that's not your thing, this might not be the show for you. However, if you like hearing about perspectives from history that aren't always as well known, and individuals who might not be as familiar to the general public, but who had a great impact on history. After you listen to this great episode of the Queen's podcast, I hope you'll come check out the Presidencies of the United States. Thanks so much. Hi, this is Katie. And this is Nathan. And you're listening to Queen's Podcast, the show about badass women in history. Hello, Nathan. Hey, Katie. Merry Christmas Eve, Eve... Eve. So it's Merry Christmas Eve's Eve's Eve. Merry Christmas Eve Eve Eve. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but by the time this is up, it should... I hope to have this up tomorrow, so then it'll be Merry Christmas Eve Eve. And <laughs> I believe Happy First Night of Hanukkah yes. as well. Yes. Yes. To all those that celebrate Hanukkah. Or whatever you celebrate, Merry Insert Holiday here. <laughs> so we have gathered here today to discuss Isabeau of Bavaria. Yes, ma'am. She was a controversial queen of France back in the 14th cent- 14th and 15th century. Yeah, we we've done um we've done this time period with Jaquetta of Luxembourg. Yeah, right? same kind of same, um, maybe like a generation before. I think about the same time. About the same time. So yeah. same sort of time frame-ish-ish-ish. Ish-ish-ish. Yes. So Nathan, what are we drinking? So we're doing a rift on Bavarian cream, um, because bitches from Bavaria. Yes. Um, and it is a shot of vanilla vodka, a shot of amaretto, a half a shot of triple sec, and a half a shot of coffee creamer. All right, let's give this a taste. Cheers. Let's Cheers. clink. Clink. Oh, God, I love amaretto. It's very reminiscent of um, our Marie Antoinette um, Yeah, the, the drink, birthday the cake. The birthday cake. It's got like this creamy, But sweet. it's not as sweet yeah, as... Yeah, you're not going to need an insulin shot. Yeah, that, that drink gave me diabetes. Yeah. But it's, it's this okay. one... I mean, I wouldn't sip it all night because I'm not a fan of creamy drinks, but... For a special treat here and there, it's very nice. Yeah, it's, it's kind of Christmassy, too. It gives me a little Christmas yeah, vibe. A little Christmassy. Ooh, like a dash of cinnamon would be really nice in it. Ooh. Ooh. I do have cinnamon. So, back to Isabeau. Take it back now, y'all. Uh, so, Isabeau was born... real slow. Oh, shit. We're getting into line dancing. 1370. <laughs> 
<laughs> so Isabeau, as you've gathered, was born sometime in 1370. Um, whenever she was born, her name was actually Elizabeth, but in history she's known as Isabeau, so that's what we're kind of just going to go with yeah. here. Um, she was likely born in Munich, but we're not 100% sure about that one. Her family, um, her father was Stephen III, Duke of Bavaria, they were from the Wittelsbach family. Wittelsbach. Which, if you've listened to our Elizabeth of Austria episode... A lot of parallels. A lot of parallels with their childhood. Both were Wittelsbach family, both born in Munich, both married young, powerful rulers. Both were named Elizabeth at their birth. Um, but at the time of uh, Isabeau's birth, Bavaria was a bit more... Of like a powerful force in Europe. Yeah. Um, she's the great granddaughter of the Holy Roman Emperor. Bavaria is broken into three states at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not relevant to our story to go into like the ins and outs of that. But it was her dad had two brothers, and so each of them were given a chunk of Bavaria. So they were each the Duke of Bavaria, but like a different region. So like co-dukes of co-dukes. Bavaria? Co-duke. <laughs> Co-duke, yeah. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really affect our story to go into that, but just for, you know, just for your knowledge, her dad was one of the three Dukes of Bavaria, but they were all three super powerful dudes. Yes. The, just the more you know. The more you know. <laughs> Her mother's family wasn't quite as powerful, but, you know, they weren't anybody that you would be turning your nose up at Nope, 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 nope. She was Italian nobility. Yes. Um, her name was Tadia Visconti. Ta-da! I don't know. I have no idea how you say it, but every time I it read it. Like, it looks like uh, Tyler Perry's Madia, but with a T. Every um, time I read it in my head, I went, ta-da! <laughs> ta-da, Visconti! Yeah. <laughs> and her father was the Lord of Milan. So she didn't exactly grow up in the poorhouse either. Yeah, not really at all. Uh, we don't know a whole lot about her childhood, but what we do know, she did have an older brother, Louis, um, with whom she was very, very close. Uh, we know that her mother died when she was about 11 years old. And her and her father attended mass every day for the rest of her time uh, in Bavaria and said prayers for her mother's soul. Which I think is very sweet and also goes to show that her and her father were very close. Because, you know, for children of the nobility at the time, it wasn't rare. It was actually more commonplace for you to be raised by the staff. Mm -hmm. So the fact that her and her father went to church together every day... I think is indicative to show that they were closer than normal for the time period. Yes, definitely, for sure. So for her education, we just really don't know for sure what happened there. Uh, we're going to assume that she had a pretty decent education for a girl at the time because she had a pretty high status, yeah. so she could probably read or write. And also she shows that she had some serious religious education, edumacation. Edumacation. I'm sure <laughs> she would have been in also like taught like simple math as women of noble households like hers were probably expected to be able to like not necessarily do like serious accounting but know when they were being ripped off which is a good thing to do yeah um she would have known how to do just like simple household math and stuff like that Okay, so let's talk France, since that's where we're going to end up in this story. Um, so remember, we were talking about Jaquette of Luxembourg. We discussed the uh, Hundred Years' War. Uh, this is basically just France and England just waving each other's dicks at each other's faces, being like, For a hundred years, yeah. like, my dick is bigger. No, no, my, no. Mon dick is bigger. I don't know. 
is le grand. I have no idea if that's right. <laughs> so we're pretty much smack dab in the middle of this. And earlier that year, Isabeau's uncle had brought his men to fight on the French side. The French king's main <laughs> advisor was his uncle Philip, who um, he was the Duke of Burgundy, and he his contemporaries called him Philip the Bold. So he's a pretty important dude, just kind of like make a mental note of him for later. Philip the Bold goes to Isabeau's uncle and is like, hey, I appreciate you coming to like my side and showing support. Our French king needs a wife. You got any shorties you wanna you wanna put <laughs> say, forward? Say shorty. Say shorty. <laughs> Izzy's uncle is like, I don't have any daughters, but I have a niece that I think would, you know, really fit the bill here. So Uncle Matchmaker runs on home and is like, bro, let's make Izzy Queen of France. And Dad is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Pump the brakes here. One, France is at war. Why should I send my daughter into that? Two. She's a child, and apparently I'm the only person in the 14th century that cares about that. Three, France is so far away, I'd miss her. Oh, how cute. A father that actually fucking cares about his daughter. It's it's very touching, actually. Very refreshing to hear that, that she's just not something that he's going to sell off. She's not a bargaining chip to him. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So, Uncle Matchmaker's like... Dude, queen of fucking France, what are you fucking thinking, bitch? Think about how this will move our family forward. Think about, you know, all the alliances we can make. Think about it. So dad is like, okay, fine, I'll consider it. God damn it. And he tells Uncle Matchmaker that he can bring Isabeau to France. It's like kind of a test run, but Izzy can't know that there's going to be, you know, they're going to be checking her out as a prospective bride. Yeah, he's like, um, they're per... Uncle Matchmaker and Dad um, come up with this idea that, okay, Izzy, we're going to take you on a pilgrimage because there's a church there in France that's not super, super far from um, Paris that supposedly has the head of John the Baptist. How delightful. So a lot of people would go there on pilgrimage. um, It was like a big deal to go. It wouldn't have been anything that would make her suspicious because that was like a normal thing for people at the time to do, to go to pilgrimage to a means I don't know if that's how you're saying that. But anyway, so he tells, um, dad tells Uncle Matchmaker, take her to meet the people at court. Don't let her know what's going on, but don't let them look at her naked. Yeah, because that was the thing. Yeah. It was very odd that the older women at court would like check this girl Yeah, so that was the normal thing when a um, young woman, when a young woman who had never been married before was coming to France to be considered to be wife of the king. Um, the elder women of the community of court would inspect her, like make her undress and like criticize her, I guess, which just sounds like a waking nightmare to me. Yeah, it sounds like a little bit of body shaming. Just, just stand there naked with a bunch of catty old French ladies talking about your body. <laughs> she didn't speak French, so maybe she wouldn't have known what they said. <laughs> hey, that's, at least that's nice. I guess they're just trying to make sure that she didn't have any like freakish deformities. Didn't like, have like like uh, fins or a tail or yeah, anything. Yeah, fingers growing out of her vagina, which yeah. might be convenient. <laughs> what did you just say? I don't know, Convenient Katie. for what? And so you could finger yourself. Fingers don't go back that way. <laughs> like, I think the only thing that would be convenient for is if you've got a lot of letters to write. <laughs> 
Let me pass my pen to my vag. Oh, Jesus. This has gone off the rails. (laughs) All right. Uh, Okay. So her Duke daddy was not going to let her go through that and be like subjected to that. Which again, he really seems to care about his daughter. I like like Duke daddy. Yeah. (laughs) Duke, Duke daddy. Duke daddy was like, if um, they want an alliance with the Holy Roman Emperor that bad, they can forego this weird ass tradition of making of humiliating my daughter. Yeah, and um, I guess Uncle Matchmaker was like, "Okay, I can I can work with that. I can work. With that. I, I can work with this." So Izzy goes over there under the guise of a pilgrimage, but really it was so the French court could see her. She would have been around thirteen or fourteen at this time, and there's really no record of her meeting the king until she was sixteen. So I assume she just met with a bunch of important people at court. And a bunch of old ladies that wanted to see her naked and were pissed off that they couldn't see her naked, I guess. That so probably went pretty well. I mean, <laughs> she ended up becoming Queen of France, so I guess it went pretty well. And, like, after the trip, they told her the truth. They were like, hey, look, um, this wasn't just for the pilgrimage. You're being considered to marry the King of France. And we don't know for sure how she felt about this, because she doesn't have any kind of diary she kept or anything. But... With how much her father seemed protective of her, if she wasn't into it, I don't think it would have happened. Yeah, he totally yeah. would have been like, nope, not going to happen. Not if, she, happen. if she would have been like, I don't want to live that far away, or I don't want the responsibility of being queen, um, I think her father would have been like, okay, then you don't have to do it. But yeah. um, that's not what happened. So I guess she was like, France. I can be queen of France. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> cool. So we do know that she goes back home and then returns to France about two years later. And that in those two years, she learned about French court. So her aunt, who had a lot of French connections, took her in and taught her, you know, the manners, how to dress, customs, style of dancing, you know, everything that she needed to know. French cr- crash course. Yes. Paris crash course. Yes. Um, though, when she did arrive in France... Two years later, she still wasn't fluent in French, so I feel like the ball was dropped somewhere. Because wouldn't that be like? I mean, of course, everything else is important. Like you've, it's fucking French court. You have to know how to act. But surely it would have been like French lessons every day. Yeah, you anyway. should know how to speak French. Because like um, the records show, like well into her being there, like ten or fifteen years, she still wasn't completely fluent in French. Like, she still had problems with certain words and stuff like oh, that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. But, you know, language is hard for some people. Like, it yeah. is. Some people learn it quicker than others. Anyway, um, two years pass, and she goes back to Paris, but this time she actually knows why. Yes. She's 16. Can you imagine being sent off not knowing when you're going to see your family again? Mm. Like, and you're about to marry this total stranger. But, I mean, at the end of the day, he is a king. So, but still, silver lining. Still, I mean, you're 16, definitely a virgin, and going off to this strange land to, like, start becoming a baby machine. Yeah, you're a little... <laughs> I, I don't know. So, I couldn't find any record... Who accompanied her to Paris? Um, surely they didn't just put her on a boat. Well, I guess you wouldn't need a boat to get from Germany to France, but you know what I mean. They put her on a <laughs> they carriage. Didn't just, they didn't just put her in a carriage and be like, "Bye," you know. Like I'm sure. I I have to assume 
matchmaker uncle went with her. I hope her dad went with her. Probably her brother. Yeah, somebody from the family. I have to assume somebody went with her. Um, So she ends up getting there and she has to be examined again. Again. But But still not naked. Yes, and the Chronicles at the time note that she showed absolutely perfect poise. Like, she stood, like, she, you're supposed to stand, like, still as a mannequin mm-hmm. while they, like, just basically check you out and then, you know, make sure that you're dressed right and that you look right. And she passed the test with, like, flying colors. Yeah, she, she made a good impression. Yeah, she made a really good impression. To say the yeah. least. Uh, there's a debate about whether she's beautiful or not, but... She had to have been totally hot, which we'll get into in a second here. I think the dis- the like discrepancy there is um, probably someone in a journal said that she, like a chronicler of the time, said that she wasn't fair. And fair is so ambiguous in like, does it mean beautiful or does it mean fair skinned? Yeah. Because her mother was Italian. So, so she m- wasn't fair skinned. So maybe she wasn't fair as in like blonde hair blue eyes but um, she still could have been pretty and but but since she's gone down in history as a unpopular queen i think maybe some chronicler wrote somewhere she wasn't fair and they took that and twisted it because she's ugly yeah yeah but anyway um she has been described so many different ways in history. There's, like, not any source that agrees on what she actually looks like. Yeah, some modern chroniclers say she was tall and blonde. Some say she had dark features. Some say that she was just so captivating that she'd hypnotize you with her beauties, her beauty, while others would just say that she's this fucking obese fat bitch and she can't walk by herself. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's, like, all over the map. We have no idea what she looks like. But I think she had to have been, at least in her youth, pretty. Yeah. Yeah. But whatever she looked like, King Charles VI of France took one look at her and was like, boner alert. Yes. He took one look at her and was like, "Um, I will marry her the day after tomorrow. And they're like, oh, oh, no, sir. We have a wedding planned for like a month from now. And he was like, all right, well, then I will marry her in three days. Start working on it. <laughs> and they pretty much are like, okay. I mean, with, when the king of France says it, you do it. And they're like, oh, oh, okay. So they got married three days later. Let's talk about Charles VI of France. So what's his deal? Um, at this time in our story, Charles is the ideal late medieval king. He's young. He's fit. He's chivalrous. He's handsome. He loves hunting and jousting. He's very popular with the people. He's just on paper. It's just like, yes, that is what I want out of a king. So Charles was born on December 3rd, 1368. So he's really only like two years older than Isabeau, which is real refreshing because it's not like a 50-year-old marrying a 12-year-old. Exactly. Um, His father, Charles V, died when he was only 11 years old. So he was one of those baby kings. Which don't... That it never goes well. No, it never doesn't. Never goes well. And because 11-year-olds aren't known to be great at running countries, he had a council of men that actually ran the country while he was in his little minor years. Minor years. That makes it sound like he, like, works in a mine. Yeah. Like... Mm-hmm. He, did. <laughs> he did. Totally did. Um, yeah. So the men running the country for the next decade are, um, they're four of Charlie's uncles. Um... 
I won't go into all of them because it doesn't matter. The only one that really matters for our story is his paternal uncle, Philip of Burgundy, who we've already mentioned, Philip the Bold. Uh-huh. Um, he is known as Philip the Bold because he never loses in battle. His men are loyal to him to, like, death, and he's just a really... For optics, it looks like a really good person to be having act as your regent and run, um, be the leader of... Especially during this time during the Hundred Years' War, too. So this is like a very big person. Optics looks real good. Reality is, the region of uncles was a shit show. Yeah, they didn't really agree on how to spend their money, which Which is kind of... When you're running a country, maybe y'all should, like, have a meeting about that. Yeah. Come to an agreement. And they're at war. So these uncles are just, like, they're all randomly raising taxes on parts of the country and not talking to each other about it. Um, And then they're putting their dirty little hands in the treasury. Yeah, and then they're just, like, taking the money out whenever they want, not checking the ledger to see if there's any money left. It's just, it's a shit show. And Charles could have ended his regency when he was 14, but I don't know, 14 seems a little bit young, and I guess Charlie agreed, because he was like, I'm going to let y'all run it for just a bit longer. I'm going to get through puberty first. <laughs> let, me, let, let me get some hair on my balls. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when he enters our story, he's 18, and the regency is a still a-rockin'. The regency a-rockin', don't come a-knockin'. July 17th, 1385, Charles and Isabeau were married. And this is when Elizabeth makes the Elizabeth Isabeau switch. Oh, okay. Like she now she's like the artist formerly known as Prince. Yes, <laughs> the 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 girl formerly known as Elizabeth is now the queen known as Isabeau. <laughs> yes, and there's not really a lot of information about their wedding because it was so rushed. You know, yeah, <laughs> like... three days, get ready. Um, there was a French historian who noted that they seemed th- that they were pretty ready to make it to the bedroom. Yeah, yeah. Like... It's a, it, he called them. Um, his name is Jean Froissart. He's one of like the main um, chroniclers of court in France at this time. And he um, referred to them as the hot young couple. And that means it's pretty new now that when we say hot to mean um, attractive. Yeah. Like pretty much ever since the beginning of time, it just meant like horny. Yeah, they were like, just so ready they were to... they were just ready to get to bed. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I think that means Izzy found him pretty sexy too at first. So yeah, that's how we kind of deduce that he's probably. I mean, she's also probably pretty good looking. They're probably as well. both <clears throat> good looking, young. They're probably both virgins at this time. You know, yeah. just ready to. Mm. And they were totally in love, and that's where we end our story. And they, they live happily, happily ever, ever after. after. <laughs> JK, 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 JK. Have you been listening to Queen's podcast? That would be a first. No, that's never going to happen. But they spent their first wedding t- night together and 1,000% fucked all night and probably went to Waffle House afterwards. Oh my god. I miss Waffle House. Me too. Scattered, smothered, and covered. Mm. Oh, I like them capped. Oh, with the mushrooms. Mm -hmm. We're talking (sighs) about hash browns. (laughs) We're talking about 
talking about our days back in college when you'd fuck someone all night and then go to Waffle House the next day. Because yeah, back in the town we went to college, there's a Waffle House on the Air Corner. Air Corner. Anyway, we have digressed. If you get a chance, if you don't, if you're not from the South, go to Waffle House drunk one day. It's great. It's fabulous. So anyway, <laughs> luckily for Isabel, there was no um, Catherine de Medici Medici ceremony where they, you know, watched the little kids who just got married bang which is really fucking weird i mean i understand why they did that because it would be alliance like making sure that the marriage could not be annulled because they definitely consummated it i mean if you think about it if this happened during henry the eighth with arthur and catherine yeah. uh of aragon there would have been there, no it, things would be so different dispute yeah but anyway um since that was a tradition in france i wonder if either daddy duke stepped in and said well, no, you're definitely not watching my daughter fuck. Or if it just was all thrown together too quickly, that like they the, didn't have a group of people. Who they didn't have the right them. the the. They didn't have the audience of the correct prestige to watch the king fuck. I don't know, <laughs> but she got out of that. Thank God. She did end up having a child in 1386. Um, the month isn't recorded, but it was the first half of the year, so it's pretty possible that this baby was conceived on their wedding night. The honeymoon, however, was non-existent. Because the next day, Charles left to go to war with England. And Isabel went to go live with Charles's step-great-grandmother, Blanche of Navarre. Who I went down a short little rabbit hole about Blanche of Navarre. never. And I don't think there's a much, like, enough information on her to do a full episode on her. Maybe she can be, uh... Patreon episode or something, but she was an interesting lady, so, um, whenever she was, just, she came to France to marry the King of France's son, but the King of France looked at her and goes, no, you're gonna marry me. Oh. And then, so then she was queen, but then that king was old ass, so he only lived for like three months or something oh, after their wedding. Wah, wah. It was very interesting. Anyway, so, so Gra- Grandma, Grandma Blanche, Blanche Devereaux was basically <laughs> finishing school. <laughs> it was. It was like finishing school. She basically, but yeah, Grandma Blanche's was totally finishing school. And it was like, okay, you're going to learn French. You're going to learn everyone in court who they are, why they are important. And that reminded me a lot of, um, do you remember the Madame de Pompadour episode? Yeah, Jean Fish. Jean Fish, before she made the Jean Fish Pompadour switchover, she had to basically go to and, a crash course of like French court and yes. French politics and French customs and, and mannerisms. so and while um, her new husband is off fighting the Brits, um... Isabeau is back with Grandma Blanche learning the who's who of France. And this is probably when she gets to choose her ladies-in-waiting. And this is when she falls in love with fashion. Fashion. <laughs> um, I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places. Somalia, Indonesia... Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. 
We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-off launches April 9th. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. Thing done weird things. Cat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. I mean, she a little bit... If she hasn't ha- hadn't had such, like... Um, a negative reputation by the time of her death, I think she would have gone down as a fashion icon. Yeah, like a precursor to a Marie Antoinette. Definitely. Yeah. Um, because this French queen loved to push the boundaries in her outfits. She would show her, wait for it, neck. <gasps> the scandal! She would show her neck <coughs> and her collarbone sometimes. Oh my god, clutch my pearls. She popularized this fashion called the double hennen. Okay, y'all. Hennens are a ridiculous headpiece that women wore. Um, it's not as bad as the English gable, but it's still stupid as fuck. So a hennen is one of those, like, stupid cones. You look like a cone head. Yeah, it's a cone with the fabric draped off of it. You probably have, like, in Robin hood have seen that yeah you've definitely in period pieces seen women wearing hennens before yes so she did the double hennen which was a two cones with double the fabric and double the stupidity so stupid but i mean it's the fashion at the time i think i honestly think in 15 years we're gonna look back and be like what were we doing with our eyebrows like (laughs) (laughs) it's so true (laughs) fashion only makes sense in the time that it's popular yeah but whatever our opinion of the hidden and double hidden at the time it was cutting fucking edge yes and her first marriage was solid it was her first. only marriage <laughs> yeah <laughs> her marriage was rock solid at first like they were simpatico yeah they and were... they loved each other and charlie would get her gifts and there was no dress too expensive or any jewel too gaudy for our girl isabeau and though her affection is less documented than his there's really no evidence that she just wasn't in love with this young I think beautiful she, handsome I think at, husband king thing. i think at this point she's definitely st- love and in love with him what's there not to love he's a handsome king that's being super sweet to you. And everybody and, loves him. And, and he's buying you gifts and like he's making this big deal out of you. I mean. And you're getting the dick every night. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. And she is a fertile myrtle bitch, y'all. Oh, babies on babies on babies on babies. Yeah. In 1386, she had a son named Charles, but sadly he died in infancy. And you have to remember back at this time, that was 
infant mortality rate. It was like 30% or something. I I heard something recently on a podcast that I thought was interesting because they were talking about like the average life expectancy, you know, back in the day was like 40 or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that's not because people were just dying of old age at 40. It's because it's the average. So they're factoring in all, all the those, people that die at three weeks. Yeah, all those So that's what that brings it down. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So whenever baby Charles died, we really don't have any documentation of how the couple reacted. But I'm sure. Obviously, they were probably devastated. It's your first child. It was the Dauphin. Like, and it surely. Can you do that one more time? Dauphin. <laughs> they must have been just gutted, you know, like absolutely destroyed. Yeah. But then the next year, our girl Isabeau had a daughter named Joan, and I'm sure they would have preferred a boy, but you know what? Fuck it. Healthy Whatever. child. Healthy yes. child. <laughs> yes, we're happy. Um, but through all of this, Charles is so in love with his wife, and he wants to show the world, so he starts planning Isabeau's coronation. And y'all, this is going to be, you know, let me check the notes for the actual wording from the time. Oh, yeah. Um, this is going to be a fucking banger, y'all. This is going to be lit AF. It is going to be... Well, she's going to be the first... That is French, a direct quote. Direct quote from the sources. Fucking banger, y'all. <coughs> Izzy is going to be the first queen in French history to have her own damn coronation. Work Has it, never bitch. happened before. Yes. And while Charlie is planning this, he's like, you know what? I'm a grown-ass man now. And you I know got what? a wife. I got a kid. My uncles are, like, super lame as fuck, and the whole country doesn't like them anymore. They're not very popular. Mm-mm. So I have this wife. I have these this baby. I'm feeling pretty fucking good about myself. Yeah. So he ends up firing all the fucking regents. Yeah, which... he's like, love you uncles, but not going to miss you all that much. So he restores what they call the Board of Council, which his father had relied on for advice and guidance. And that was a very popular move with the people in France. Because the Board of Council wasn't a bunch of dukes like his uncles are. They were, I mean, they were probably, you know, upper class or whatever, but they um, spoke to the people more than some guy that's lived in a castle his whole life ever could, you know? Yeah, so in 1388, when he dumped his uncles and took the rule himself, uh, the people of France started calling him Charles the Beloved. Of course they did. Yes, ma'am. So... Back to the coronation. Let's reel this back in. Reel it back in. So at this time in Inzi's life, she is so popular. Uh, this coronation of the queen was meant to represent a new era of Charles' reign. A new reign. era of France, out with the old, and with the new. This is the future of the country. And the country as a whole is really fucking excited for this party because it's gonna be bottom And guess who's pregnant again? Um, Charles? Uh, Close. Well, <laughs> they are pregnant if we're being modern, but Izzy is the one who actually, actually has, the has the baby in her belly. <laughs> the coronation takes um, six months to plan. Sadly, their daughter Joan died two months before the event. Probably, if- again, it's just like taking the wind out of the sails of this, like... Wonderful moment, you I know, know. But uh, but they I feel like that happens to her so much. Uh, you, you don't even know yet. But like, <laughs> I I feel like they probably made a conscious decision because they could have postponed it for mourning, but they made a conscious decision of like, no, we need to do this for our country. We still need to have this big showing of confidence 
for our country. And hey, you're pregnant again, so it's a vote of hope for the future. Yes. So the big day comes, August the 23rd, 1389. And this celebration starts literally when the sun comes up, bitch. Like, they are ready to start partying. So Isabeau is supposed to enter the city at the Port St. Denis and make her way to Notre Dame Cathedral. So I popped this into Google Maps to see, like, how long of a walk this is. Because I kept reading that this took all fucking day. This is a 30 minute walk. So there, if it took all fucking day, there was so much pomp and circumstance. Yeah, I mean, her pageantry. Her path was like lined in silk and other fancy fabrics and they had like sidelines of like tapestries that were like depicting these ancient stories. Like, um, yeah, the whole walk, every couple blocks or whatever would have like a whole different theme and so she and probably so they had would to stop, stop and, and look at it and comment on it like you said about the tapestries like um depicting the crusades and jesus and somehow that has something to do with french queens and then <laughs> there was like one part of the plate like one part that they got to and there was just a lot of like commoners and on one side of the road, they were all in green, and on one side of the road, they were all in blue, and they had little, like, like things that, like, they had little rehearsed bits that they did for her. Oh. And, um, she... She's dressed, like, lavish. Like, she is lavish on her day-to-day, so this is, like, turned up to 11. Yeah, from head to toe, she's wearing silver, or silver, silk and gold. Oh, my she God. She wore her hair down, um, and on top of her head, she wore this crown that, there are accounts to this day that still describe this crown, and it had 93 diamonds on it. 93? And then hundreds of rubies, pearls, and sapphires. Bitch, that thing had to be heavy as fuck. Talk about heavy as the head that wears the crown, because ouch. Yeah, she gets whiplash when she just turns to look at somebody. So she's draped in this heavy cloth and a crown that weighs like roughly 500 pounds. And bitch, she's seven months pregnant, so she ain't happy at all. I would not be happy at all. And it's summer, too. Yeah, fuck that. But... Don't worry. She's not actually (laughs) walking. Oh. She is being carried on a litter, which means, I mean, you've seen that in like movies and stuff before. Um, So she's got like four men carrying on her litter. So she's just sitting there. Then all her ladies behind her are dressed not equally as fancy as she is. But close enough. And they're also being carried on litters. So they bougie as fuck. And so this procession going um, the whole 30 minute walk that takes six hours or whatever um, is like in front of her are like the important men from court. So all the dukes from the regency. um, Louis, Duke of of Bourbon. So bookmark him. Bookmark Louis, Duke of Bourbon, he is um, Charles's little brother. Yeah. And he just recently got married. So, like, just, like, two or three days before this, they also had a big um, ceremony for Louis' wedding. So this has turned into, like, a whole week-long thing of the royal family. if you're going to do it, do it right. Right? Yes, ma'am. And um, Philip the Bold, um, Duke of Burgundy, it said that his doublet that he wore had... Embroidered on it, 40 sheeps and 40 swans, and each swan had a pearl, 
and each sheep had a bell. Which I just imagine him doing like a shimmy and it's just being like, <laughs> like <laughs> sounds noisy and gaudy. It sounds like a sweater that my grandmother made me when I was seven. Yes, I am here for I it. I am here for it. <laughs> so they make the procession to the church and the whole fucking city and then some. They all came out to see this. Lower nobility, middle nobility, peasants. Commoners, super coordinated, super like party city. You know, not the actual store, but you know, an actual party. It is, it is a city, and it is partying. <laughs> so she makes her way to the church after what must have taken like fucking hours with all this pomp and circumstance and fanfare and people. And Charles did not attend the coronation. We have discussed that before, yes. and a lot of things. Um, where the queen, when the queen is supposed to be the highest ranking person there, the king doesn't attend. Yes. But, so it wasn't like a slap in the face. No one expected him to attend. And he's back at the palace getting ready for the part, the after party. Yes, the real party. So she arrives at the church. And I, I just laugh every time I read this. So she gets to the church. And some dude dressed as an angel descends from the archways of Which Notre would Dame. Be my part. Yeah, <laughs> and there's like these guys up in the rafter with like a pulley, like <laughs> dropping them down. And he, um, he like places. It says he places a crown on her head, but she already had this crown on her head. So I don't know if they took off like the crown of royalty and put on the crown of God or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I don't fully understand what a coronation is. Um, but then like. They, like, rope him back up after he's put the crown on her head. And then it just, it just sounds like something out of, like, a cheesy farce yeah, play to me. Yeah, it does. They also had an acrobat who's, like, doing a tightrope walk from one steeple of the church to the other. <laughs> so, yeah. So they were pulling out all the stops. Yeah. The actual ceremony takes place. Um, I found this interesting. When the actual, um, I shouldn't say king, because queens is, uh, queen regents as well. When the actual regent, because she's a consort, when the actual regent has their coronation, they're anointed with holy oil on nine spots of their body. As a consort, being crowned on her own, she was only anointed in two spots, on her head and her chest. Huh. I know. Interesting. Anyway. Um, I have no idea what that is. Um, so after the ceremony, the real party gets started. Yeah. From Notre Dame to the palace is lit with uh, 500 candles. Which sounds like a code violation. Katie, it's okay. It's a party. Yeah, okay. Just live it up once in a while. Okay. So they make, <laughs> they make their way there, and that's when the real party starts, bitches. There it is. Food on food on food on food. There's musicians, everyone's dancing. And our favorite thing, wine. There is wine and wine and wine and wine and wine. Yeah. Food and wine and food and wine and food and wine and dancing. Sounds like my kind of night. Uh, but remember, Isabeau is seven months pregnant. So this bitch is tired as fuck. Like, bitch, she where is, is just, the couch? She <laughs> nearly faints. There's so many people in the hall. And you have to remember, back then, they didn't have, like, central air. So if you've got, God like... damn it. If you've got, like... 300 people in a room that's probably only meant to seat 150. It's going to go a bit stuffy. Stuffy is an understatement. So um, when she almost faints, someone breaks a window. Okay, wait. 
Do these so, windows just not open? Like, why don't you just open the window? Have they not invented hinges at this point? I think that's it when she goes, all right, you drunkies, that is my exit sign. <laughs> this party has gotten a little too wild. So, um... She, she ends up going to bed way earlier than most people do. I don't think anybody was mad at her for no, that. She'd had a big day. And she's seven months pregnant. Give yeah. her a fucking break. <laughs> But in everybody's eyes, the coronation achieved exactly what it was supposed to achieve. It showed, um, you know, the way they were wanting to rule France. It showed her importance, and it was a success. And this couple are in love, and they are blessed by God, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, the coronation is followed by more days of partying and jousting and uh, feasting. Oh, my. Yes. And it costs the taxpayers a pretty penny. But remember, she's really fucking popular right now. And nobody's, like, so, raising any red flags about it right now. <laughs> absolutely. And two months later, Izzy gives birth to another daughter. Yay! And they name her Isabel. <laughs> and this child lives. Yay, y'all. She, she lives. dead. And they stay busy because in 1391 she has another daughter that they name Joan. Again. Much <laughs> reuse, like. Reuse, recycle, re. Yes. What, what yeah. is the three Recycle, R? reuse. Redundant. I don't know what the word <laughs> is. Then before you can say contraceptive, she's pregnant again. Contrac... Oh, I tried to say it, too. Babies on babies on babies on babies. (laughs) And she has another baby, a boy. Baby boy, you've been on my mind. Fulfill my fantasy. (laughs) They name him Charles because... Uh, of course they do. Not inventive with names. No. Nope. And they're now this popular, sexy couples with three healthy babies. They are killing it. They are y'all. on top of their game. Um, motherhood for Izzy. Because I found this interesting when I just like learned about her on the surface. Everything you read about her is negative because she mm. goes down as a bad queen. And it um, on the surface, it reads as if she was a really shitty mother. But when you dig in, I don't think so. It yeah, there's appear like... to me that she like sent. She has one child that I think she sent off to live at a different court too early, which we'll get to in her second episode. But all of her other children, and even that child, she kept in touch with, and she made sure her girls had an education. And throughout her entire life, there's letters that exist to this day of her. She wrote to each one of her children for the rest of her life every week. Wow. Like, she, when she had to be separated from them, she um, would send them gifts, send them letters. And there's even one story that we'll have to get to in the part two, but it just shows that I think she was a good mother. There was a plague, like, maybe 15 years from now, and she had just had um, a baby. And um, the plague rushed in, and her baby was only, like, three weeks old. And so they sent all the children off, but she refused to leave the baby. The baby was too young to travel. And so, like, if you're a selfish woman who's not thinking about your children... You're not going to do something like that. Wouldn't have you rushed off with the rest of your family? Yeah. But no, she stayed with her baby to, like... Like, oh, I guess we're going to die together if we're going to die, you know? So how did she earn this bad reputation? It'll probably be in episode two, but... Yeah. (laughs) But no, everything... I think she really deeply cared about her children. So she had those children, and they lived happily ever after, right? Correct. (laughs) No. 
Fuck. No, tragedy strikes. Okay, so one day, Charlie, um, and this is kind of like summarizing a longer story. Um, Charlie's, one of his like right-hand men, uh, there's like an assassination attempt. And so Charles knows who did it and finds out the guy that did it is living in Brittany. Okay. Which is like a province of France at the time. And so he calls up the Duke of Brittany, and I was like, hey, I know um, home dude that tried to kill my home dude was there. You need to release him. And the Duke of Brittany was like, I have a bad connection. I can't hear you. Uh, like, qu'est-ce que c'est? Yeah, qu'est-ce que c'est? <laughs> and um, so Charles is like, all right, war with Brittany, I guess. So him and his bros one day were like riding off to Brittany and they were about like halfway there and they're in this forest and he's got like 15 of his knights and his brother with him. Mm -hmm. And he'd been feeling a little bit weird that day. There is this story that I'm not sure is 100% accurate, but they say like maybe about two weeks before this, he had had this sickness where his fingernails all fell off. So I don't know if that's just part of like the lore or if that actually happened. But so um, him and his men are traipsing through the forest on their horses. And he had definitely had a fever the day before. Yeah. So he was sick. Yeah. But he he was, I feel fine. I feel fine. But he's a little bit. Uh, agitation, agitated, not really that happen, like happy, but something they're, happens. They're going slow, and he's agitated that they're having to go slow. Uh, and but something just snaps in him. So someone said it was one of his knights that dropped a sword, and then Charlie just like went banana crazy. There's also a story that maybe this leper or like some like crazy man that lived in the forest came out of like the woodwork and was just like, you're all gonna die, you're all gonna die, and then fled. And so Charles like already had a fever, was feeling agitated. This crazy person just told him he was gonna die. And then one of his men drops his sword and it like lands on it. Like it just makes this big calamity noise. And Charles just snaps. And he ends up charging one of his knights, knocks him off his horse, and then fucking kills him dead with his sword. Like Charles the Beloved went nuts. And so like everybody, he like kills this knight and everybody's like, whoa, and is trying to like disarm him. But also he's the king. So you can't... Yeah, you don't want to hurt him. And he ends up killing four of his knights. Wow. Until finally his dis- his brother, Louis, is the only one that's able to, like, disarm him and get him to calm down. And so when they finally disarm him and, like, hold him down on the ground, he's just, like, thrashing around, yelling nonsense words. His head... His, like, eyes are rolling in the back of his head. And then he stops. And he goes catatonic. And he is in a coma for four days. What the fuck? We have no idea how Izzy reacted to this. <laughs> Probably not great. <laughs> I imagine her response was, <laughs> And I wonder how long it like actually took for her to get news about mm. this. because I do too, because Charles was in Le Mans, which, according to Google Maps, is about an 11-hour journey by bicycle to Paris. So that's what that's how I compare bicycle and horse. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, how far Close was enough. this? Um, we know Charles didn't make it back to Paris for about a month, but like, so 
by the time the messenger got from Lamont to her, maybe he was already awake because he was only in a coma for four days. Yeah, probably so. But since they didn't want him to rush to get back to Paris, you know, they wanted him to chill and take his time recovering so he didn't kill any more of his friends. (laughs) Which is probably a good decision. Yeah, but... While he was gone, the Uncle Regents came in. There was some weird loophole in, not the Constitution, because that's not what they had, but, you know, like in the law or whatever, Mm -hmm. that basically said that um, even though he's of age, if he's incapacitated, we get to be the Regents again. So they ended up firing that entire council that Charles had put together to help him govern. And they wanted to be in control of a little six-month-old baby prince. And uh, Izzy is like, um, no. You are not taking my baby away from me. No. And Absolutely ch- not. He is staying with his mama. And Charles ends up coming home and takes control over France again. Um, they're trying to keep all this on the DL because, you know... PR nightmare. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. But it seems like for a while, everything goes back to normal. And by normal, we mean Isabeau is pregnant again by Christmas time. Maybe this will help. Yay. But Christ- there is like a little bit of... I mean, they couldn't completely keep it totally under wraps the king wasn't there for six months yeah so you know amongst like the people of the country there there is some whispering of like what happened where's the king what's going on you know Mm -hmm. so charles's doctor is like you know what will help keep your wits about you and even though i you know think medieval um medical practices are for the most part horrifying (laughs) i don't think this was A bad idea. He was like, you need to keep yourself amused with happy things for the next few months. So what is in store for you, Charlie? A party! And I mean, it seems like, on paper, it seems like, keep yourself amused. And Izzy, of course, is like... Mind spot. And yeah, and and it's like, you and your wife plan this party together. Y'all just have a big party. And that'll put your brain back in a happy place. And guess what? Izzy has this friend, and it's like her third fucking marriage, and it's time to throw a party for it. So, back then, um, I had never read this before, and it tickled me so much. Um, Back then, when a widow was remarrying... The party they would throw her is kind of almost more of like a joke party. Yeah. It kind of makes me think of like when someone's on their third marriage having a bachelorette party. Yeah. Like it's like, okay. So one of her ladies was about, was a widow twice and about to be remarried for her third time. And Izzy was like, well, I was just going to throw her a little like silly joke party, but let's make it a, let's make it a thing. Let's have like a big old party for this. She was like, it's my duty to make sure that my hubby's having fun. He I needs- honestly really do think she took this very seriously. Like, the doctor has said, I need to do something fun to keep him happy. And that's what I'm going to fucking do. Let's get drunk, yo. And so, you know, she loved fashion and extravagance. She spent way more money on this party than she should have. Yeah. But I honestly don't think... Because that's one of the things that she goes down in history being unpopular for is being frivolous with the treasury. But at this point, I honestly don't... This is the only time that I ever think that she actually was frivolous with the treasury. But she thought she was Doctor's doing orders. It. It doctor's doctor, orders. Like, I don't think... 
I don't think it was like absent-minded, like I don't care about the French people. I thought they thought it was just as important as like a coronation or something. Yeah, so perfect. This will be a great party, a great thing for the king and queen to get them together, bring them closer together. These parties would often have this dance or this like pageant, this absolutely silly thing called a cheveri. And this is where a bunch of really high-ranking knights would dress as everywhere that I read about it, it's wild men. I think mm-hmm. it's supposed to mean like savages or like barbarians. Yeah. So I'm not sure if it means like cavemen. I don't know. But like, so they would dress in these costumes that are like completely covered. They would make these shirts and these pants out of linen. And they would have to soak the linen basically in alcohol to get it to be like the right um, color and texture. And then they would um, sew and glue hair and leaves and twigs <laughs> all over it. And then they would come out and, like, they would even have masks on. That, And so the whole point of the thing is they're, like, these high-ranking men. And they would come out and do this little, like, pageant performance mm-hmm. dressed as these wild men. And then you're supposed to guess who each person is. And it was just a fun game. Even though... They had said, like, on the invitations, like, hey, no open flames because, you know, linen draped, you know, soaked in alcohol. Next to fire might not be a good idea, guys. (laughs) And also, um, the king usually wasn't a part of this. Yeah. But Charles was just like, this sounds like so much fun that Izzy was like, yeah, be a wild man. Sure. This, uh, everybody will think it's hilarious. So the night is going great. The party is huge. They're all dripping in jewels at La Guanza. And so the wild men come in to do their little pageant. And um, they dance around and everyone's laughing. But Charles's brother, Louis, didn't get the memo about the open flames. And their costumes are flammable as fuck. So you can probably guess what's what goes wrong, but we'll tell you about it anyway. So the wild men are doing their dance, and after their performance you're supposed to guess who's who, and Charlie's brother, Louis, wanted to get a little bit of a closer look at one of the dudes. So he leans on in, steps closer, grabs a candle, or torch or some fucking shit, and the dude catches on fucking fire. Like, not just Talk about a flamer. (laughs) (laughs) And not just like a stop, drop, and roll fire i mean immediately head to toe engulfed in flames this little girl who was like she was like some 14 year old baroness or something saves king charles's life and like um she sees that guy catching on fire and like um she had on like this big like over the top stupid skirt Mm -hmm. and she puts it over charles's head she's like get under my skirt and that's (laughs) the only reason he was saved because this guy is you know as one would when they're on fire, is running around like a crazy person. Yeah. And he catches... So there were six men in the the wild men costumes, and he catches all of the other five... All of the other four of them. Because he got on fire. There's four other ones, and Charlie's under some little girl's skirt. So they all... Five of the remaining ones catch on fire. One of them is lucky enough to find a barrel of wine to jump into, and he survives. Okay. But the other four all die. Burn to death. And this event goes down in history known as Bas d'Odin, 
which means the ball of the Burning Man. So that was, needless to say, a PR nightmare as It was not good for anybody. The king and his brother and the queen all had to pay public penance for this, and this was a turning point for Izzy's reputation. Um, Everyone was like, if the queen hadn't insisted on throwing this fucking ridiculous party, the king would have never been put in this situation. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you hear how much money she spent on a party Mm -hmm. for one of her ladies? Um, And some people went as far as to say she and her brother-in-law were trying to kill the king because they were having an affair. Put a pin in that. We'll come to that in episode two. Oh, Lord. It It wasn't just her reputation that was hurt either. Like, the king's competence as a ruler was questioned. Like, fuck, did you hear, hear, like, first of all, he kills his friends in the forest for no reason? I know he's setting people on fire at parties. Maybe he's not fit to rule as a king. (laughs) Unsurprisingly, Charles has another attack just a couple months later. And this one nearly lasts six months. I want to make a quick side note. Go back if you've listened to our Jaquetta of Luxembourg Mm -hmm. episode. You know how King Henry uh, VI of England went into like a catatonic state and yeah this is that's charlie's grandson oh okay yeah so So catatonic state maybe they should have thought about that before continuing this line but whatever (laughs) but anyway yeah charles is catatonic for six months and this leaves izzy so vulnerable y'all she's not as popular as she thought she was and the king is now out of commission and she's pregnant and she has no power no and i mean when he's out of commission for a couple of weeks that's one thing six months is a whole different story yeah agreed so that's where we're gonna leave her yeah happy times (laughs) um this will probably be our last episode before 2020. 2020 So we'll ring in the new year with the rest of Isabeau's life. Can't wait to see what happens. So have a happy happy new year. Year. Hello, everyone. Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.